Heavenly Father, it is indeed a privilege to be able to gather as your people before you on this resurrection day where we particularly remember Jesus and what he did 2,000 years ago where he took up his body and raised it to life again. Lord, we pray that you may help us to understand the message of Christianity in all its fullness this morning and that we may be able to grasp what it means that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and so that we can live lives as disciples for yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whenever we try to introduce a new idea to someone, it's always difficult because we are afraid of what they might think of the idea that we have. I rarely have original thought. I usually steal my thoughts from other people, whether it be in books or in person. But when I have an idea that I might have had originally or I've stolen from someone and I try to sell it to somebody else, I want them to receive it well. I don't want them to scoff at the idea. I want them to maybe ask some more questions about it and then maybe take on that idea for themselves. Recently, I had the idea that I really need to embrace uh, cloud storage on my computer uh, when it comes to computers, I have a bit of a, a, a loving relationship with computers, but they are not uh, the most reliable of uh, machines to store everything that you have on there. You have to have some sort of backup system. And these days, there's a wonderful backup system of actually being able to replicate what files you have on your computer with another computer somewhere else on the internet. And so what can actually happen is you can delete a file on your computer by accident or by some sort of uh, problem within your machine, and you can actually resurrect files from another machine where you've stored it previously, where it's been synced over. And so recently I've, I, I, I've been doing this for a while now with most of my important files, but I've started to realise I need to do this for most of my files. If I really want to have um, a good backup system, I need to do it more so. And, of course, you have to pay for that privilege. It's not cheap to be able to store your files on somebody else's computer somewhere else, some server on the Internet. And so I had to sell this idea that I had to my wife because whenever payments of any large kind are made in our household, um, I do have some authority to spend, uh, but realistically I should run them past my wife. And so I had this grand idea of storing my files all on the internet so that I can resurrect them, but I needed to sell that idea to my wife because I have to pay for the privilege of doing that. It's going to cost us something. And so I wanted my wife, Jill, to really like the idea. I didn't want her to sneer at the idea. I wanted her to embrace that idea that I have and not say, oh, yes, Joel, that's all very well, but I think you don't really need that. I wanted her to embrace that idea. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Paul has an idea that is very original to the people that are listening to him. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17, where Paul speaks to some Greeks in Athens about an idea that they haven't come across before, something that is new to them. And he is asking them to embrace and take on board, and it's probably and it's going to cost them if they take on this new idea that Paul is telling them about. And this new idea is a new religion to them. 
It's a religion of Christianity that Paul wants to share with them and wants the people there not just to like it, but to embrace it. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning when Paul stands up at the meeting of the Areopagus in verse 22 of Acts chapter 17. If you've got a black church Bible there, I encourage you to have that open because we'll be working through uh, the rest of that chapter from verse 22 on, so from little number 22 from Acts chapter 17, found on page 1098 of the Black Church Bibles, 1098 of the Black Church Bibles. And we'll work through this passage and see what Paul does to try and get people to embrace this idea that he has of Christianity and the God of Christianity. And so the first thing we want to note is that he tells the people that the God of Christianity is great. And that's my first main point this morning. The God of Christianity is great. I've got a number of main points. You can see them on the back of the church bulletin if you have one there in front of you. On the back there you can see my main points and you can follow along this morning. And the first one is that Paul tells the people of Athens, the Greeks there, the Athenians, that the God of Christianity is great. And how does he do that? Well, he tells them a number of things about God. Look at verse uh, 24. In verse 24, we see that Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. So firstly, he tells the people that the God of Christianity is great because he made the world. He made the world and everything in it. He's the great creator. He's not a creator of just part of the world or some things within the world. Like you might say you're a bit of a creator. You've created some things in this world. God has created not only the world, but everything within the world. He is the great creator. And then we see that the God of Christianity is great because he reigns over all. He is Lord of heaven and earth, it says in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is not made everything and then moved on, just like you might make something and move on or sell it to somebody else and you no longer have access to that piece of property that you used to own. No, God still reigns. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He's Lord of the heavens and he's Lord of this earth. He is in truly great. And he's also everywhere. In verse 24, it says, the Lord God, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. God is not restricted to a house or a temple, which is the usual word we have for houses for gods. The God of Christianity is not locked down in a particular house where he can be worshipped, he can be approached, but then he can also be left and he can't see what you're up to when you leave the temple. The God of Christianity does not live in temples made by human hands. He is everywhere. We have a technical word for it, omnipresent. He is all present. He is everywhere. Is that great? Yes. It is great to be a God who is everywhere. I'm not that great. I'm restricted to one location at any given time. I am not the God of Christianity. The God of Christianity is everywhere. He is truly great. How else do we know that God is great according to Paul? Well, he says that the God of Christianity is powerful. He doesn't need anybody to help him. In fact, God helps everyone. We see that in verse 25, the next thing Paul says. And he, that's God, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. 
The God of Christianity does not need you to help him. In fact, he helps you. He is the one who gives life and breath and everything that you have. This is in stark contrast to yourself or to other gods which need people to serve them, need their help. The God of Christianity is a great God because he doesn't need anything. In fact, everybody needs him. So he is indeed a great and powerful God. He's also the creator of all humans, which makes him great as well. Verse 26, Paul says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He didn't just create this world and then create the trees and the animals, the rocks, things around, but then that most intelligent of all species on the planet. It's not as though something else made that. Who made humanity? Who made humans? The God of Christianity. And he made all of them. It wasn't like he made some and then another God made the others. No, the God of Christianity made all men from one man, from one man, Adam. The God of Christianity is indeed great. He made all things, including humanity. And then he is in control of all humans. Verse 26, what does it say? From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. He has determined everything that every human does on this planet. He is predetermined. He is in sovereign control of it all. Even down to where you live. Where do you live? What's your address? Now, do you think, think of your address, do you think you put yourself at that address, that that is where your residence is? Well, you would have had some involvement. But ultimately, who was at the bottom of it all? God. He has determined the exact place where you should live. He really does reign over all. He reigns over all the creatures of this world, including humans who he made, and he has control of them. And this is shown uh, that God is indeed the great God that he is. Clearly there is no greater God than the God of Christianity. And Paul is hammering this home because he is in a city that is filled with idols, filled with other gods, foreign gods that people are worshipping. And Paul is standing up and saying... The God of Christianity, the God that I worship, is the one that is over all. There is no greater God than the God of Christianity. So then the question is, if that is true, what does that have to do with you? If God is the the great God who is the great creator, he is the one who reigns over everything, he is powerful, what does that have to do with you? Well, Paul answers that question, and and that leads me to my second main point this morning. The God of Christianity wants you to seek him. The God of Christianity wants you to seek him. Paul says that in the very next verse as we move through this passage. Verse 27, God did this. God made all things, reigns over all things. Why did he do this? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Why did God make this world? Why did he make you? So that you would seek him, that you would perhaps reach out for him, so that you would find him and start to worship him as the great God that he is. That is why God is the great creator. 
That's why he made you. He wants you to glorify himself. And that's not an impossible task for you to do. It's not as though God is up in heaven somewhere and you can't find him. What does Paul say in verse 27? God did this so that men would seek him, perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He's not far. Remember, he's omnipresent. He's all around you. You can know him. And Paul even brings out some Greek poetry to prove the point, that the Greek poets even grasp this point that God is close by. He quotes from Greek poets. He's not quoting from the Old Testament when he quotes in verse 28. He's quoting from poets that the Athenians, who he's speaking to, would know very well. He says, For in him we live and move and have our being. God is around us. In him we live and move and have our being. And then he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We are close to him. He is our father who made us. If he is a great God who created all things, then of course he is the father of all humanity. So he is close by. You can seek him here in Australia, over in Athens, in Greece, wherever you go in the world. God is there and you can seek him. It is not as though he is far from you. So how do you seek out God? Well, you don't seek him out as an idol in a temple. That's what Paul says next in verse 29. What does he say? Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. If God is the great creator over all things, if he is not restricted to a temple, some sort of house, he is the one who made all things, then to seek him out is not to bow down to some little figurine that some craftsman has made, even if it's made of gold or silver, as he says there. It may be a very precious metal, but it's not precious enough to bow down and worship as the God who is the creator of all things. You don't seek out God by worshipping idols. But that is what people do. People will bow down to some sort of figurine, to some sort of statue, as though that is God. And it's not just idols that we bow down to, actual figurines. We worship idols all the time, as though they are God over everything. We make all kinds of pleasures into God's. We turn our houses into gods, our cars into gods, our bank accounts into gods that we worship as though the bank account that you have is creator over all things and will make your life wonderful. We worship ourselves as God. We bow down to ourselves all the time, worshipping ourselves as though that is God in our life. But that's not how you seek out God. You don't worship created things. You worship God, how then? Paul says you don't do it through worshipping idols. What does he say? Verse 30, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. How do you worship God? By turning to him in repentance. He wants you, what action is told to you there? Not to bow down to idols, but to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is being sorry for your sin, for worshipping other gods as though they were the God of all, and then turning away from your sins, 
Whenever we teach um, scripture in the local school here, we try and teach the word repentance, which is a hard word to, uh, to teach and to, for them to grasp. And we call it the U-turn word because that's what it is. It's about a U-turn. It's turning from following sin and false gods and doing a complete U-turn, a complete 180 degrees and following God instead, the God who is the creator of all things, the great God, the greatest God of all. You need to do a complete U-turn is what Paul is saying here. Stop following idols, stop worshipping other things and worship the God who made all things by being sorry that you ever went that way and now turning to the right way. That's how you seek God. But then the question is, Paul's outlined very nicely here why the God of Christianity is great, why, uh, how you should turn to him, how you should become a Christian. The question then is, is, well, is this true? Is Christianity really worth following? I mean, other religions can teach this kind of thing as well. They can teach that their God made everything. They can teach you how to seek out that God. Why should you take Christianity over any other religion? Why should you come to God in repentance? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. The God of Christianity will judge you, and that's why you should come to him. Soon God will judge you. Verse 31 says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. This God that encourages you to seek him in repentance will one day call you to give an account for the way that you've lived. He will be there as judge over you. And he will judge you how? What does it say in verse 31? He has set a day, day is coming, when he will judge the world with justice, the whole world with justice. He will be able to say who is in the right and who is in the wrong, who has sinned and who has not, who has come to him in repentance and who has not. And that's a scary thing for us to behold because we all recognise that if there is a, a just standard that is made across the board of all of humanity, we all fall far short of it. We have all sinned in many ways. We have hurt the people around us again and again and we have hurt God himself by the way that we have lived. And so if God is going to come with justice one day, then we had better pay attention. We had better listen to him. Because he has appointed a judge. Who's that judge? By the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. One day Jesus is going to judge us all. And so we'd better make sure we turn to God of Christianity in repentance. But then you've got to say, well, okay, he's going to judge me. This is the God of Christianity, but how do I know it's true? How do I know that I need to turn to him in repentance? How do I know that he's going to judge one day and he's going to judge with justice the whole world by his man, Jesus Christ? How do you know Christianity is true? Well, whenever you try and sell an idea to someone, a new idea to them, you try and give them some proof that what you're telling them is true. And so when I was trying to sell the idea of cloud storage... To my wife, I have to try and give her some proof that it's a good idea, that it's actually going to work as well. We hand over the money. How do I know that cloud storage will actually work and resurrect my files on my computer one day if I ever need them? 
Well, I gathered some facts, and of course, you can also have free trials of many of the cloud storage uh, solutions. And so you can download uh, the software, you can install it, and then you can try deleting a file and then seeing if it's still available for you to use, whether that file can indeed be resurrected. And so then I can be very convincing to someone that I'm trying to sell the idea of uh, cloud storage too, because I can show them that it actually does work. We delete a file off my computer and I can resurrect it from another place. And that is what God has done for us to prove that Christianity is indeed true, that we can have eternal life, we can be resurrected and stand before that judge on that day and be safe. How is he shown that that is true? How has he proven it? Well, Paul tells us. What what does he say? Verse 31, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The proof that Christianity is true is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's my fourth main point this morning. The God of Christianity raised Jesus from the dead as proof. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that God's word is true and that Christianity is not false. If Jesus had stayed dead and in the grave then you should not believe the message of Christianity. You should not believe what Paul says about God being creator of all, that he is sovereign over all, that he made you, that he even determines where you live. And you should not believe that you should seek him through repentance. You should not believe that he was going to judge one day just with justice the whole world. You should ignore this new idea. But... If Jesus has been raised from the dead, then that proves that the God of Christianity can do something that no other God can do. Nobody else has been able to raise people to life. No other God, no other religion has been able to prove that their God can raise people to life. But the God of Christianity has proven his authority over everyone by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. He has shown that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in the God of Christianity and his son Jesus, and you turn to him in repentance for your sins, that you too can have eternal life. Just like my resurrected files on my computer can come back to life, because, and I know that it is so, I'm I'm worth, it's worth investing in cloud storage because I've seen it happen before and it's, I've shown to my wife that it's true that I can resurrect a dead file. So it is with Christianity. God has done it before, so that means He can do it again. And if He promises that He can do it again for you, if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, then you too can have eternal life. You can be raised from the dead just like Jesus and live forever in the heavenly realms with God God himself. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate at Easter, is of crucial importance. That's why we celebrate it so much. It's because it proves Christianity is true and we're not wasting our time and that we should believe what Paul says about the God who made everything in this speech to the Athenians. So the question is for you this morning, how do you react to this message about the God of Christianity 
and that the resurrection is proof that Christianity is true. Because there's different ways you can react to this. And we actually see them in this passage. When Paul finishes speaking, we see different reactions. And that brings me to my fifth main point this morning, reactions to the God of Christianity. There's sneering, there's seeking, and there's believing. We see this in this passage in verse 32 of Acts 17. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, that's the Athenians, some of them sneered. First reaction we see, some of them sneer. What does it mean to sneer? It means to mock. And they, it means that people are saying, this can't be true. Could be outright mocking, outright sneering. People say, oh, what's this guy talking about? And we actually see them saying that kind of thing back earlier in verse 18 from the passage uh, that Angelo read for us. Verse 18, Acts 17, what is their sneering? What is this babbler trying to say? That's a way to sneer at someone. Call them a babbler. On about something strange, some strange idea. That's that's the way some people react to hearing about the God of Christianity. They can do it outright, or it could be inward. In your head you're going, that's just stupid. Why would you believe in the resurrection of the dead? And that's what they're doing in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, they're happy to hear about a God who makes everything. They're happy to hear about a God that doesn't live in human temple, in temples made by human hands. They're happy to hear about a God that isn't an idol of silver or gold. But when you start talking about the resurrection of the dead, everybody knows you've gone off the trail. You're on a wrong path there. Everybody knows no one comes back to life. When you're dead, you're dead. That's it. And so they sneer. But some people want more information. We see that in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. They want to know more. They trust that there is a God and they want to know more about this resurrection because it's kind of a good it's kind of an intriguing idea. You can come back to life and the God that this guy is teaching about has actually done it apparently at some point. This is worth investigating. We'd like to come back to life. And so they want more information. And then some people don't just want more information. What do they do? We read in verse 33, At that Paul left the council, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. They became disciples and they believed that what Paul was saying was true. And we've even got some names of them. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Some people didn't just want more information. They actually trusted that what Paul was saying was true and became Christians. They became people who trusted that Jesus did come back to life, and so they too would come back to life because they've sought God through repentance. So the question is, what about you? Those same reactions happen today. People are sneering all around the globe at this day. There are going to be people in church services all around the world this Easter, sneering at the message, sneering at the idea that people can be raised from the dead and that the God of Christianity is indeed true and has done it in Jesus Christ. Is that you? I hope not. I hope you're not sneering about this. I hope that at least you're like the second group of people, that you want to hear more on this subject. You want to investigate because you realise the ramifications. 
if the message of Christianity is true, that there is a God who has made all things and he is going to judge you one day, then you'd better make sure you're on his right side. And if you can find tangible proof that Jesus did come back to life, then you too can be raised to life as well. Or you can say that Christianity is false and move on with your life. I hope you want to investigate this because there is indeed proof that Jesus Christ did come back to life. I hope you want to investigate. We want to hear you again on this subject. I can tell you how to hear again on this subject, hear more on this subject. Firstly, read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They will give you proof that Jesus Christ was raised to life. I've been studying them for years and they just add up. They do. Jesus Christ had eyewitnesses of his death and resurrection that he really did come back to life. He appeared to people and we have proof of that. And I encourage you to read books that will tell you about that. Books that are really helpful in pointing out the reliability of the New Testament as a historical book and then the reliability of the people as they speak as eyewitnesses. There's many books on that subject. I just wanted to recommend one book this morning, if that is you, who wants to investigate more. This book is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Uh, It's by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. It is one of the best books on looking at the Christian worldview, Christianity, and seeing whether it is indeed true. And just in one section... It has ten, the top ten reasons we know the New Testament writers told the truth. It's a whole chapter. This is a great chapter. If you're trying to look at whether Christianity is true, this chapter is worth reading. And it's there on the church library if you want to borrow it and you can bring it back. Or I have copies of it that I'm happy to give anybody here this morning who wants to find out more about Christianity and whether it is true that Jesus Christ really did come back to life. There's one thing you must investigate in life. It is whether Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And this is a very helpful book in helping you understand whether he did come back to life, whether it is reasonable to believe that Jesus was raised to life. And so if you want a copy of that, see me afterwards. I'm more than happy to give it to you. I won't give you chocolate this Easter, but I'm happy to give you a book, a book that may save your life, whereas chocolate may just give you a headache later today. I want you to have eternal life. And so I want you to be at least one of these people that says, we want to hear you again on this subject. And come and talk to me. I'm, you can use me as a resource. I might just point you to books and different things as well, but you can use me as a resource. I'd love to speak to you. And then I hope that if you are in that category, we want to hear you again on this subject, my hope isn't that you just stay there, always investigating. My hope is that you move to the next stage. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. I encourage you, don't just investigate the claims of Christianity. Accept them as true. When you see that there's hard evidence that Jesus Christ was really raised from the the dead back to eternal life, then don't just stop there. Believe it is true and believe in God for yourself. Repent of your sins. Seek him out in repentance. Do that U-turn. Turn from a way of sinfulness to a way of godliness, serving God. Believe Jesus Christ when he hung at the cross, died for your sins. It's so wonderful that there is a way of being redeemed from a way of sinfulness, from the life of sinfulness, that you can be resurrected. It's the wonderful mercy of God that this is true. 
He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to send his son to die for you. He didn't have to give you proof. He could have just given proof to the people back then. And nothing was written down, nothing was recorded for us, but he in his mercy has given you proof that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true and so that you can too be resurrected. It's the great love of God being expressed to you this morning that somebody is here telling you the way of eternal life. I encourage you to accept it. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you so that you can also have eternal life just as Jesus was raised back to life. Let us come before our God now in prayer. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this speech of Paul's given so many years ago where he clearly outlines the message of Christianity that you are indeed the great God. There is no God greater than you. You made all things, including all humans, and you reign and rule over us all, and one day you will judge us for the way that we have lived. Oh, Lord, we pray that the people gathered here this morning may know that this is true because they have investigated the claims of Christianity in relation to Jesus Christ being raised to life. Lord, we thank you that you have given us proof that what you say is true by the resurrection of Jesus and that we too can have eternal life like Jesus has eternal life. Lord, we pray that No one here this morning is sneering. No one is mocking. But instead, people are wanting to hear more on this subject and wanting to trust in Jesus Christ. We pray that everybody here believes in Jesus, believes in you, and becomes your disciple and lives for you for eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.